you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. Move the Sticks as we march towards a huge weekend of football, Buck. We've got playoff games Saturday, Sunday, uh, and then we've got the national championship game at the collegiate level on Monday. So an exciting weekend of football ahead. How you doing, bud? Man, I'm great. I am great. Like, obviously, you know where we are right now with all the juniors coming out, so we're kind of doing the background info, trying to see which guys are which, trying to sort them out and try and get them in the bucket with the seniors. But uh, it's an exciting time because the games this weekend are outstanding, not only just the pro games, but the college game. I think everyone is looking forward to seeing the national championship game. And one of the things we've been able to do is get some great guests, uh, especially when it comes to the people that have been around the quarterback position at all levels. And um, we've, we've got a, a guy you've known for a long time. I've gotten a little bit, little bit over the last couple of years is going to join us today. And Brian Stump, for those that aren't familiar with Brian Buck, why don't you, uh, you fill him in on his background and what his role is? <laughs> Look, Brian is the president of student sports and they run the football events such as the Elite 11 and the opening. And look, he's been with Elite 11 man, since the start almost. And he has seen every significant quarterback kind of come through the process. And so I think tapping into his insight, his expertise, and just kind of getting a better feel for what these guys were like in high school as we continue to track them through college, I think it'd be fantastic as we begin to look ahead to the 2020 and even 2021 drafts. Yeah, no doubt. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, Also, I'll tease a little bit. If you haven't seen it already, I've got my top 25 rookies uh, that have made it through the NFL season, ranked them uh, 25 all the way down to one. We'll have a video. You guys can check that out where we discuss those players. But we'll, we'll give you a little bit of a teaser uh, towards the end of today's episode on what that looks like if you haven't seen it already. Uh, Buck, I say we jump into the uh, to these storylines here, matchups, what you're looking forward to uh, in these playoff games this weekend. Let's start Let's start Vikings uh, 49ers, which as somebody who picked the 49ers to win the whole thing, I got to be honest, Buck, I, I, this one makes me nervous. And I do feel like whoever wins this game, in my opinion, is, is going to end up going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that. And, and 
I think this is a very, very dangerous game for the San Francisco 49ers. And the reason it's a dangerous game is because this is the first game that they've been to the playoffs in a long time. And I know they have some veterans like Richard Sherman and Emmanuel Sanders who have played on the big stage. But uh, DJ, you know, the playoffs are a completely different animal. And in every round, the games become faster, more intense, and it requires a level of um, calm, poise, um, that you have to yep. exhibit to yep. get through it. And look, the Minnesota Vikings, say what you want, the last three years they've been to the playoffs uh, and two of the three. They made a long run, went to the championship game, lost to the Philadelphia Eagles a couple seasons ago. I think that experience really will set serve them well when they go on the road. And also, their style of play. I think you're looking at teams that are carbon copies of one another. They want to run the football. They want to play very, very physical. And as you said it, because you went and you've seen the Minnesota Vikings up close, they may be the most talented team in the NFC side of the bracket. When you look at what they have on defense, the front line, their linebackers, and even in the back end, and then what they're doing on offense, their two wide receivers and the running back is outstanding. And the quarterback is a really good quarterback playing in the offense that allows him to be a distributor. I would just say beware because the Minnesota Vikings are not going to be an easy walkover for San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the key to this ball game, I look at the ends for the 49ers, and getting D Ford back uh, will be big for this group with Bosa on one side, Ford on the other. We know how good they are inside with Armstead, the way he's played this year in Buckner. Uh, but this stretch run game, you've got to find a way to take that away from the Minnesota Vikings with Dalvin Cook. You cannot allow him to get to the perimeter, something they were able to do early and often against the New Orleans Saints. Um, I, you know, The interesting thing is they run that wide nine, uh, with the Niners, where they really widen out those ends, which I think will help a little bit trying to work against some of that stretch. If nothing else, you got to get up the field and force him to come underneath. When you f- come underneath, they've got so much speed uh, at linebacker, especially with Quan Alexander coming back. Um, we know Warner is one of the best in, in the business. So those ends, to me, are going to be huge in this matchup. If the 49ers' ends can set the edge and force things inside, I think they'll be okay. But, man, teams have had a difficult time doing that. Look, and I think the advantage that both of these teams have from a defensive standpoint is every day in practice, they have faced the stretch uh, bootleg game. Now, uh, Kubiak and Shanahan, uh, I mean, we, we say Kevin Stefanski is offense coordinator, but this offense is really Gary Kubiak's offense. And... Look, they know one another. Kyle Shanahan worked up under Gary Kubiak. The system is almost exactly the same. And so they also understand what gives their problems and how you best defense. And so it'll be interesting to see the chess match. Uh, I can't wait to see what Kyle Shanahan has in terms of the wrinkles in the past game. I believe he's one of the best, um, if not the best, play designer when it comes to creating explosive plays in the passing game. I want to see what he has dialed up. Last week, the Minnesota Vikings kind of went off their normal pattern. They weren't as much man-to-man. They played a lot of different zones. They didn't necessarily settle into any one thing. The guy who I have kind of pegged as the weakest link for the 49ers is the quarterback. How will Jimmy Garoppolo play against Mike Zimmer and some of the things that Mike Zimmer will present? The double A-gap blitzes, the constant changing and disguising. A lot will be on Jimmy Garoppolo. I think the one thing that you'll see, and this is a trick that we used to always do in Green Bay when we were playing a team that disguised and moved a lot, watch the 49ers play at a quicker tempo Watch them go on first sound to get Minnesota out of those exotic pre-snap looks. When you play fast and you kind of operate, not necessarily in a no-huddle tempo, but a rapid fire, get out the huddle, get on the ball and go, it prevents the team from kind of showing those things. I wouldn't be surprised to see San Francisco play fast early to settle Jimmy Garoppolo down so he can eventually attack the defense. And one matchup I'd keep an eye on, uh, Eric Kendricks is one of the best cover linebackers in the entire league, has been for a mm-hmm. long time. I saw it up close and personal this this year uh, with what he can do with tight ends and backs. Uh, whereas you rarely want a linebacker to have anything to do with George Kittle because he's going to he's gonna torch you. That could be a fun matchup to watch. If they get him on Anthony Barr, big advantage to the 49ers. Kendricks, even though he's given up some size buck, um, he is an outstanding cover linebacker. So at least I would say you're over under. You know, he can be underneath uh, and have somebody over the top, but he'll factor in there in, in some coverage there on a very gifted tight end. He 
has to factor in there. It's funny that you brought that up. I think for the Minnesota Vikings, from a defensive standpoint, they have to make this the most physical game that San Francisco 49ers have been in. That means for George Kittle, every time George Kittle is on the line, he cannot have free access into his route. You got to beat him up. You got to bang him. You got to hold on to him. You have to disrupt the timing of this San Francisco 49ers passing game. And then you have to make it but what I would call a, a game that is basically played in a phone booth. You have to figure out which team is going to be the tougher team, which team is willing to go to that deep, dark place. Because this game, when we look at the matchups, this game and the other game, like the, the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens, this should be as close to old school football as we will find um, in today's game. Because both of these teams have to impose their will and they have to impose it in physical fashion, in a physical fashion. Well, you just mentioned it there. Let's get on to the next one because Saturday evening we're going to have the Titans uh, at the Baltimore Ravens, a very rested Ravens team, although uh, we'll see what what Ingram's health looks like once we get to game time. But uh, when you look at this matchup, Buck, what's the the one thing that stands out to you? Uh, Two teams that that really want to play on the edge, meaning they they want to play physical, they want to toe the line and maybe even go across the line when it comes to the level of physicality and toughness that they exhibit. Um, The Tennessee Titans did a great job of kind of up in the ante when it came to the physicality and toughness against the New England Patriots a week ago. Derrick Henry obviously was the focal point of that game plan. 30-plus carries, had a huge game, and they were able to control the game because they could run the ball. I don't think they're going to have those same opportunities. If we know anything (laughs) about the Baltimore Ravens and Wink Martindale, he's going to blitz. He's going to bring pressure from every angle. He is going to make sure that he takes Derrick Henry out of it. And I think the Baltimore Ravens want to put the game on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders. Most teams haven't been able to kind of get Ryan Tannehill in a situation where he has to make those gotta-have-it throws where everyone in the stadium knows that he has to make the throw and you're throwing against loaded coverage. The Baltimore Ravens have to shut down the run game and make Ryan Tannehill spend most of the game throwing against loaded coverage and blitz looks. If they do that, they may be able to create some turnovers, and that would be a huge advantage for them in their offense. Here's a huge storyline to me, Buck, is the Ravens are so big up front. They've been able to slow the run down without dedicating a lot of numbers, but this is the best rushing team in the NFL outside themselves here when you look at what the Tennessee Titans can do, especially the way they're doing it um, lately. So do they have to dedicate more resources to stop the run? I believe the Ravens will end up slowing this run game down. I really do. The question is, do they have to do it uh, with extra bodies? If they have to do it with extra bodies, now you're going to get some one-on-one. And, and while this is a very talented secondary, I, I think your guy Marcus Peters, Buck, if they can force them to use extra bodies, we know Peters is, is nosy. We know mm-hmm. he's going to try and jump some routes. You can do that. It's a lot easier to do that when you've got help over the top because you can handle the run with six and seven defenders in the box. When you have to load the box and you've got no help over the top and then you get a little nosy, now you've got the potential for some big plays. And, and that, to me, is what the Tennessee Titans have to do. If they don't run the ball effectively, at least you have to force the Ravens to dedicate resources to stopping Derrick Henry. If that happens, then you'll have some opportunities down the field. But if they can stop their run, six, seven guys down there, and they can play with help over the top of these corners, you're not going to move the football. No, you're not, you're not going to move the football. Look, you pointed out Marcus Peters, and Marcus Peters is kind of a boom or bust corner when it comes to the way that he plays the game. And if I'm Tennessee early in the game, I have to throw a couple double moves at him to back him up so I can then work up underneath. I don't know if they're going to match up, if they're going to kind of shadow A.J. Brown, if Marlon Humphrey is going to take him or if they're going to play right and left. But early in the game, I got to make sure that I challenge Marcus Peters to get him off the spot because if it becomes a situation where the Baltimore Ravens know that Ryan Tannehill has to throw, Marcus Peters is going to squat yep. on a route, and he is going oh, to get take a, one. He's yeah. going to get a pick six because we've seen him do it time and time again. He is one of the best at reading and anticipating routes, and when he can gamble freely, when the odds are in his favor, he makes plays. So the Tennessee Titans have to flip the script. I think they have to go at him early to back him up so they then can get those intermediate passes in his area. You flip it over on the other side there with the Baltimore Ravens offense. Um, Man, Buck, I, you know, the way they're rolling right now with all the different things they can do, I, I like to sit here and say, okay, here's the formula to slow this thing down. But quite honestly, Buck, I don't know that there is one. You've got to hope that Lamar Jackson is a little bit off. Um, you, you've got to try, try and hit him early. 
Um, but I mean, I can sit here and try and make things up about how they're going to slow this offense down. But I look at it matchup wise and I see a lot of favorable matchups for the Baltimore Ravens. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. Um, I think Lamar is going to be able to run the ball. And then I think what that's going to do is it's going to set up. We talk about shots down the field. Remember back in college, remember Dory Jackson against Will Fuller at mm-hmm. Notre Dame? Dory Jackson's a good player. Will Fuller went right by him. I think you're going to see Marquise Brown do the exact same thing. You know, So they're, the Titans, we talked about dedicating resources. They're going to have to dedicate all their resources to slow this running game down. I think the Ravens, I think the Ravens hit some big plays over the top in this game. You know, here, here's the thing, because this is the game that everyone has been waiting on in terms of Lamar Jackson. From his struggles a season ago in the playoff game against the Chargers, when the Chargers trotted out seven defensive backs, um, everyone has wanted to see how is Lamar Jackson going to respond in the playoffs. I think the difference in this playoff game could be and should be last year against the Chargers, the Baltimore Ravens tried to spread it out. They had all the little guys on the field. They didn't necessarily play with the big guys, meaning two and three tight ends, heavy sets, where they made you play big on big. I think the advantage that the Baltimore Ravens may have in this game is putting, keeping their big guys on the field. So those bigger bodies for Tennessee, they have to defend Lamar Jackson. If I'm Tennessee, though, I believe very early in the game, I am blitzing the mesh point, meaning that I've instructed my defenders yep. – to blow up the quarterback at every turn. When in doubt, I want to take a shot at Lamar Jackson. I want him to really feel us very, very early in the game. So then what typically happens is when your quarterback gets some licks early, they typically fall off the fakes when they hand the ball off. They, they hand it, they get out the way, and it takes away the illusion of yep. the double option and the triple yep. option or whatever. So very early in the game, the Tennessee Titans have to take a couple shots at Lamar Jackson to make him feel their presence. They also have to make sure that somehow Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson – they're going to have to be able to hold up on the island because you talked about having to commit extra resources to the box, and it may be easier if Mark Ingram isn't there, but you're going to have to play with plus one fronts to have any chance of slowing down this run. That really leaves those guys on the edges out to dry, and we'll see if they can hold up in man-to-man coverage. The one thing, the one thing I do like for the Tennessee Titans is with Kevin Byard back there, and, and you're going to have Mark yeah. Andrews, all those tight ends, Hurst, They throw a ton of tight ends at you out there with the Baltimore Ravens. You've got probably the best high safety in football with with what he can do. So um, that'll help take away some of that. Again, I think to me, you said it, Buck, one-on-one on on the outside. Can Lamar Jackson make those throws? Uh, I think there's some matchups that they're really going to like down the field. Yeah, like, and he's going to have to hit him. I think that's the thing. And, look, we can, we can celebrate him. He's had a phenomenal season. He's been the MVP unquestionably. But the playoffs are a different animal. And so everyone wants to see how is he going to handle the big stage? Also, how would the Baltimore Ravens handle last week being off? Sometimes when you have that week off, because really they've had two weeks off because they had week 17 where they really didn't play their players and then they had to buy a week. And so sometimes you have to weigh the, the rest versus rust dilemma. How rusty will the Baltimore Ravens be when they start the game, when this game kicks off at MT Stadium? Last question, then we'll move on to Texans Chiefs. If you are the Tennessee Titans and you win the coin toss, Buck, you want the ball or are you going to defer? Oh, we're going to take the ball. We're going to take the arrow of the ball from the beginning. Amen. I think the thing that you don't want, you, you obviously know, having worked for the Ravens, I do not want that stadium whipped into a frenzy very, very early. Oh, yeah. And you know and I know that the one thing that gets the Ravens excited is when number eight makes a play early in the game, it changes the electricity in the stadium. It's an avalanche. when you've seen the Ravens, typically within the first four or five plays, Lamar pulls it on one of those plays, and it kind of gets the juice up. As much as I can, we are playing UVA slash Wisconsin basketball. This is a very (laughs) slow, methodical, we're going to drain the play clock down from the beginning, and we're going to try and limit the number of possessions in the game. If the Tennessee Titans are able to do that, because that's what they did against New England, they were able to control the game because of the run. If they can slow this down and just get it into the fourth quarter where it's tight, then you'll have an opportunity to see, is Lamar Jackson really ready for primetime? Can he handle the pressure of having to win a game in the fourth quarter when they really haven't had to play a lot of close games of late? Yep, that's the, that's the formula. You better take the ball, get a lead, and hold on for dear life. Um, 
Texans Chiefs, Buck, a fun quarterback matchup there for sure uh, with Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Oh man, this is a fun this is a fun matchup. And in DJ, like this is a great matchup because um, we may get an opportunity to really see a shootout between two of the best young quarterbacks in the league, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. They are both talented. Both have the ability to not only kill you with their arm, but they can make some plays with their leg. Deshaun Watson is more of a runner than Pat Mahomes, but Pat Mahomes has shown that ability this season. I think the thing in this matchup that I'm looking for is – I'm going to need Deshaun Watson to really channel his inner Michael Jordan. He did it the second half against the Buffalo Bills. We saw him kind of put their offense on their back. It's an offense that doesn't necessarily have a lot of rhyme or reason to it. But when he is playing, he has to really do it. And in fact, I'm going to change. Instead of channeling his inner Michael Jordan, I'm going to say he's going to have to channel his James Harden. James Harden is a non-rhythmic player and this offense doesn't have any rhythm so he has to shoot he has to put up big points he's going to have to do a lot (laughs) on his own and a lot of isolation football meaning he's going to have to run around make plays and those guys are going to have to play a little sandlot ball to get open if he does that though they are a very very dangerous team I'm just I just want to see it happen from the beginning. I don't want him to wait until the second half to kind of put on that scoring barrage that we saw a week ago against the Buffalo Bills. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go recess, or you know, what we call it, just PE. We have PE as elementary school PE. Two two of the best games you've got, right? So the game steal the bacon. I don't know if you guys called it that. Oh call yeah, it steal the bacon. Okay. You put the eraser. Remember yeah, that? Put the eraser yeah. in the middle, and you call out the numbers. Like uh, you number them each on each side. Like numbers number three, you got to run out there try and grab, try and get it before the, the other person and get yeah. back across the line before he touches you. Yes, and if they touch you, then you lose. So then you sometimes you get there at the same time. You kind of wait, and it's a little little strategy there. Um, but that to me is the Chiefs because they're going to be so much speed. Man, they're, they're just going to go out there and try and steal the bacon early. They're going to get out there and run, 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 run. And with the, with Deshaun Watson, I'm like, I guess maybe more pep rallies you did this thing. You remember the deal where you had to spin around with the bat? You put the yep. bat on your head, spin around <laughs> 10 times, then go. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, the degree of difficulty for the Houston Texans is going to be a lot, a lot tougher than for the Kansas City Chiefs to win this football game. You need some superhuman effort from Deshaun Watson to win this game. Yeah, you do need – and, and that's why he's he, – look, if this is James Harden, he has to put up a 50-burger for them to win. He is going to have to play at a level where yeah. everyone sees very, very clearly that he is maybe the best young quarterback in the game. That's how he's going to have to play for the Houston Texans to win. On the flip side – if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs and I am kind of coming in and think about my game plan, if I'm Andy Reid, I am pushing the pace. I want to play fast. I want to oh, see yeah. if I can hit them with a barrage very, very early to get them on their heels. When the Kansas City Chiefs have normally come off a of bye week, in fact, when Andy Reid has come off a of bye week, he has been spectacular in terms of his one-loss record. I believe this game plan, the first 15 – has to be designed to get 14 points on the board. If the Kansas City Chiefs are able to get 14 points in those first two drives, they are setting the tone. They're getting the game on their terms, and that is the way they want to play because I believe their defense has become one of the better play-from-ahead defenses in football. They're doing a really good job of creating turnovers. Steve Spagnuolo has that defense playing well, and the Honey Badger has done a great job of kind of settling everyone down as a playmaker in the middle of the field. Last basketball analogy, we'll move on to the final game. You, you talk about the postseason being a tournament, Buck. You mentioned you know, having to play like Virginia um, when we were talking a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. This is a Houston Texans team that just played Virginia. And this is UNLV this week, brother. It is it is the running Rebels this week. A little different style than what you saw against the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you know, and, and it's funny, DJ, because in those games, like sometimes it takes you a while. You know, like we both played high school basketball, played on the AAU circuit, and you go yep. from playing one game to playing the other. And sometimes you play a slowdown team. And so then the next game, you're used to kind of walking the ball up the court, but the other team is zipping, and it yeah. takes you a while <laughs> to, to figure it out. I do wonder after the Buffalo Bill after Houston played the Buffalo Bills a week ago and it was a very slow and methodical pace. It was one of those games when you watch you were like, man, I need some juice, I need some coffee, I need something to kind of no. this is not their week. So they better come sauced up early because if not, they're going to get blown out of the building. And playing in Arrowhead, <laughs> that place is a little different. It's really, really loud, and it's very advantageous for that defense when it comes to getting after Deshaun Watson. 
Yeah, I think you got to take some chances defensively, too. Uh, you're going to give up some big plays against this Chiefs team. You've got to make some big plays. Um, so we'll see what happens in that one. Seahawks, Packers, Buck. Um, another one where I think the home team, man, you got to be a little bit nervous if you're the home team here with this matchup. This is a this is a Seahawks team with a veteran quarterback, a veteran coach who um, and that's not going to be this environment will not be big for them at all. No, it won't. It won't be big for them at all. And I, and in fact, like I think the matchup kind of plays in their favor. Because if you go back and you really look at the Packers season, and I don't want the Packer fans to come at me because I'm a go pack go guy. Look, I played there for three years. I understand everything about Title Town. But here's what I will say: This team is probably one of the weaker thirteen and three teams that I've seen. There's nothing that's overwhelming about any phase of their team. Their offense is. Okay, their defense plays in spurts and they kind of live and die on the turnover. But I don't know if they're a team that can dominate you on either side of the ball. The scary thing about playing the Seattle Seahawks, they play a very slow and deliberate and methodical style. They're going to run the ball. They're going to try and run the ball at will to control it. And when we've seen the Packers lose, They couldn't control the run game against Philadelphia uh, early in the year. I am sure that Brian Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll have looked at that, and I'm sure that they're going to make it a point to really try and run the ball. And if the Green Bay Packers haven't solved the issues that plagued them when it came to the run, this could be a very dangerous game that goes into the fourth quarter, and no one has played more one-score games than the Seattle Seahawks. It is a very, very scary game if I'm the Green Bay Packers. This is one where they need to separate early. They're going to need vintage Aaron Rodgers to show up in this game because they're going to need some space between them and the Seahawks to win this one. And I think you mentioned it there with them running the football buck. I, I'll take the other side of it. If if the Seattle Seahawks fail to establish the run with the injuries along that offensive line, you're yeah. going to see Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith tee off, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to have a they're going to have a tough time blocking those guys. So that to me is the whole ball game. If Seattle can establish the run, they're in a good shot. They're at least in a good shot to keep this thing you know close as we come down the stretch, if not win the football game. If they struggle to run the football, uh, that's when I think you see the Packers start playing downhill a little bit, and they'll start hunting up. Russell Wilson and uh, things can get away from him so uh, that to me on that side of the ball you flip it over to the other side uh, with Aaron Rodgers and company look it's you know Aaron Rodgers is going to be the, the the face of this team it has been the face of this team but this is this game is about Aaron Jones getting him going in the run game getting him involved in the screen game this offense needs to roll through him if they can get it through him and it sounds weird almost sacrilegious to say it but with Aaron Rodgers playing almost a complementary role uh, to what they can do with the run game and, and just control passing game, um, I think that's the formula for the Green Bay Packers. It sounds weird coming off my tongue that way, but I think this has to be an Aaron Jones game. A two hallmarks to typically any good team, it comes down to commitment and trust. Um, for Matt LaFleur, it, those two traits have to be on display in this game. He has to be committed to the run game, and he has to trust the run game. This is a game that very, very easily can become an Aaron Rodgers game, and you don't necessarily want that to happen. I would not like to see Aaron Rodgers throw it 40 to 45 times because to me it it, it suggests that the Packers have gone away from what has really made them a very, very solid team, being very balanced, being very um, solid when it came to playing complementary or situational football. If this team veers away from what has been really, really good for them for the most of the se- the majority of the season and becomes the old Packers where they're throwing it all over the yard, they are playing into the Seattle Seahawks' hands. They have to be committed to the run. they got to trust the process and trust the plan. And then later in the game, Aaron Rodgers can take over, but they can't deviate from how they've done it. And I think this will be the biggest challenge for Matt LaFleur. First real big game that he's coached in, can he stick to the script or will he get anxious and kind of deviate and fly out the cockpit? The other thing you got to remember, Pete Carroll, uh, this Lafleur offense is one that he's he's very familiar with when you look at what they see inside their division. So yes. this, is, uh, this is something they should have a good feel for it uh, with Seattle is all I'm getting at there. Should be a fun game. All right, the game, I'll be honest with you, Buck, these are great NFL matchups. Playoff football is outstanding. The game I'm most looking forward to in the next week is the one taking place on Monday night, and that's the uh, the college football national championship. Look, man, fantastic game. 
fantastic game, and I think it has everything that you look for. I think when we're looking at these big games, uh, not only from a scouting perspective, but just as a fan, you want to see two really good quarterbacks go at it. And I don't think we could ask for a better matchup than Trevor Lawrence going against Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner. Joe Burrow has been the hottest quarterback in all of football. What he's done this year is nothing short of remarkable. The way that they have just carved up opposing defenses all season is, I mean, it's scary. And with him at the controls, look, I will liken him because we keep using these basketball analogies. He kind of reminds me of old school Steve Nash. Steve Nash getting everybody Mm -hmm. into the offense, getting everybody going while still being able to get his shot. That is Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow and the weapons that LSU has on the outside, he can get them going that way, but he also can put them on himself and make some plays. Um, I don't know if I've seen a guy that is better at executing and delivering in the RPO game. This is going to be a huge challenge for the Clemson Tigers. It's going to be fun. I want to give everybody, if you're watching this at home and you're a fan of the NFL draft and you want to know what your NFL team can be looking at, I'm going to give you a couple things to, to keep an eye on here. Uh, A.J. Terrell is a corner for Clemson. Very athletic, tall, rangy corner. Um, watch for him against Jordan Jefferson. Both those guys, potential first-round picks, uh, top 50 picks for sure uh, when you look at their games. Watch that matchup. Then you flip it over to the other side. T. Higgins, wide receiver for Clemson. Missed some of that Ohio State game. Real athletic, real rangy, mm-hmm. um, great catch radius you're going to want to see him against christian fulton christian fulton's a corner uh, we talked to him on the podcast a couple weeks ago we're going to see him at the senior bowl he's not the, the best corner on their football team is stingley their young freshman but you're going to see that matchup of two potential first round picks there and then the last one i would keep an eye on the two running backs travis etienne who's got tremendous burst uh for clemson bucks even mentioned more of kind of a straight line guy not a not a ton of power not a ton of wiggle but just tremendous juice uh, they use him a lot in the screen game as well and then the running back for LSU um, who I always I always want to screw up his uh, his name Buck because I I pronounce it wrong each and every every time Edwards Alaire I want to say yeah uh, I always screw that up yeah but anyways he's he's phenomenal kind of a little bit of a Ray Rice uh, clone in terms of how he plays if you remember watching Ray yep. Rice before he got his issues uh, very you know, like a bowling ball very sturdy excellent route runner not a not tremendous top speed but just a really really good football player yeah look you can't go wrong with having really good football players and I think both teams have a ton of good football players I, th- I think um, when you think about Clemson you, you mentioned the guys uh, T Higgins uh, Travis Etienne uh, but the quarterback uh, the quarterback is really uh, taking over. The quarterback has really become the go-to person on this squad. And I think um, his performance in the semifinal, uh, the way that he bounced back to being, I mean, he was battered and abused early in the game. The toughness that he displayed, uh, the, the winning pedigree, the winning qualities that he displayed, to me, that is that is what may separate him from others. And big game, big stage, uh, who handles it better? We saw LSU just kind of roll over Oklahoma. The national championship game is a little different. I do wonder if Lawrence has a bit of an advantage because last year he played in this game against Alabama. So maybe he kind of settles in a little sooner than Joe Burrow. But regardless, I think this is going to be a shootout that goes to the fourth quarter. All right, Buck, let's uh, let's pick a winner here and uh, and let's kind of wrap this up. We got Brian Stumpf's going to join us here in just a minute. So, uh I, I'll go first, and then I'll let you go because I, I hear you talk about that game last year against Alabama. I think that Alabama defense that a freshman and Trevor Lawrence shredded is much better than this LSU defense. LSU's yeah. got a good defense. That Alabama defense was much better. Now we've got a more experienced Lawrence uh, defense. He's going up against. It's not as good. LSU's going to score their points. I think this will be a shootout. But man, Trevor Lawrence. I think he lost two games in his whole life. Uh, is uh, this is not going to be the third. I think Clemson ends up winning this football game against LSU. Man, it's funny because we're on the same page. It's crazy that a number one team would be viewed as an underdog, but Clemson's experience to me really, really matters. Also, um, I just remember watching the the end zone copy of this game and just trying to put myself in Justin Fields' shoes with all of the different stuff that Mm -hmm. Clemson does on third down. And Isaiah Simmons moving all around, Man, if, if, if Clemson is able to do what no team has been able to do to LSU, which is jump on them and make them chase points, 
this defense with all of the moving parts, it could be a problem. And so I'm just going to bank on the experience and Clemson's feel, having been there uh, three out of the last four times, like having, having just been in this big game, I, I think it matters. I, j- I just think experience matters in these games, and that might be the deciding factor uh, when it comes down to it in the fourth quarter. DJ, man, I'm really excited to bring on uh, one of my closest friends, uh, the president of Student Sports, who runs football events such as Elite 11 and the opening, Brian Stump, the president of Student Sports. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing me on. Hey, man, look, we have to bring you on because that Elite 11 camp is one of the best that we've seen when it comes to delivering quarterbacks. Uh, we've seen Andrew Luck, Matthew Stafford, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Mark Sanchez, and on and on kind of come through the camp. What is it about Elite 11 and seeing these young guys in high school that enables you to have a feel for which guys are going to pop at the next level? Yeah, I think it's it's a really unique opportunity with the event, it's, the way it's structured and the amount of time we actually get to spend with the quarterbacks, uh, particularly the ones that come through the finals every summer. You know, we get four to five days with those guys in the classroom, on the field, uh, see how they respond to coaching and competition that is, is really a unique environment that not a lot of people get to evaluate them in. So I, I think for those those group of kids that come through the finals every year, um, we get a we get a really interesting opportunity to spend time with those guys and get under the hood to see what makes them tick. And you come out of those um, you know settings really having I think a pretty good feel of, of who's got a good chance to to continue on and have success at the college level and potentially beyond, um, and, and really get to know those guys on a personal level and and see what makes them tick. So I think from that standpoint, it's been a it's been a unique uh, opportunity event that we've created and, and a chance to really. Um, get to see you know some of these quarterbacks in a, in a special setting, and, and a lot of them, like you said, do go on to have some great success. Brian, when we're with teams and you have your draft, there's you know times where you get a a uh, you know first round pick and he's a little bit disappointing, but then man, you you find out your seventh round pick or or, or somebody you just brought in at the last minute as a free agent ends up really hitting. Uh, from all your years of doing this, who is somebody that you were most surprised by in a positive way? Uh, meaning that somebody that just kind of barely, barely got into the event, and then once they got there, you saw them just really take off and, and make tremendous strides during the process. Uh, Jared Goff's a pretty good example from a couple years back. Um, not not the str- uh, biggest kid in terms of build, especially in high school. I think when we saw him, he was about 180 pounds. Uh, but the arm talent really stood out, and, and he was a guy that we were probably higher on um, coming through spring evaluation periods than, than most colleges and any of the the internet recruiting services and, and brought him into the elite 11 finals that year. And he was really close to winning it. I think he ended up being in the top three or four um, as we went through elite 11 finals. And he was up there with the group that year that included uh, Christian Hackenberg and Max Brown and um, Josh Dobbs and some other guys that have gone on and, and, and played at a high level. Um, but he was a guy that I think was, was not na- definitely not a nationally known name and, and really came through the process on the back end. Um, gaining a lot of confidence and also being able to display his abilities in a way that a lot of people hadn't seen. Um, and I think we also see guys that <clears throat> come through and they're, they're not the five-star guys that could really flash with physical traits, but <clears throat> you see the makeup and the character and the, the intangibles that are going to allow them to have a great career. And I'll go way back to a guy like Chase Daniel, who, you know, maybe is six feet tall. He'll, he'll probably fight you that he is. Uh, but he was that same guy in high school that we see now who's gone on to really carve out a successful career as a, as a backup and spot starter quarterback. Uh, but he's a guy that's going to play in the NFL until he's 35, 36 years old and go on to a successful career in broadcasting or whatever else he wants to do. And all those traits that have allowed him to succeed in that role uh, really stood out through the Elite 11 process. And he was a guy that we, we all loved as a staff when he came through and has gone on to great success despite some you know, physical limitations. You know, it's funny, uh, Brian, because I, I bet back in the day it was probably a little easier when the quarterbacks were more traditional. They were pocket passers. You could set up things that enabled you to look at them in terms of reading coverage and doing those things. Where now we're seeing a wave of quarterbacks in the National Football League that are these dual threat guys, guys that can make plays with their legs. Uh, Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes are a little different because they were classic throwers. But Lamar Jackson... How are you now going to be able to evaluate some of these dual-threat quarterbacks that come from these places where they're the primary ball carrier? How does that change the quarterback evaluation process now that we're not only seeing these guys have success in college, but now they're having success in the pros? 
I think a lot of it, one, we want to definitely lean back on the tape. There's only so much we can do in a camp setting, right, to simulate um, what guys can do athletically and how it impacts the game and how it changes the defense and the coverages that you're going to see. So we definitely always want to go back to the tape, and that's, that's, that's in, in regards to any evaluation, you know. Um, but definitely with, with guys that are more dual threat and, and still probably learning as passers. And then also we want, to, we want to really have conversations with them when we're in the in-person setting and see how they respond to coaching and see kind of what concepts might be new to them and, and how quickly they can pick it up. Because there's a lot of guys, just because they haven't done it yet, doesn't mean that they can't. And I think Lamar is a great example of that. You know, people question him coming through the process the entire way. And um, he, he's been able to pick stuff up like a sponge. And everybody now raves about his football IQ. And I think if there are more conversations that people had with him as he came through the process, um, people probably would have been able to pick up on stuff like that sooner. Well, when you go to an event like the opening, it's not just quarterbacks up there. You see all the skill guys as well. And I remember uh, visiting uh, up there uh, at that event, maybe, gosh, it had to have been three or four years ago now, uh, where we were, were talking about some of these other positional players. I remember watching Xavier Thomas, uh, who's with Clemson now as an edge rusher, uh, who's had a nice young career there for the Tigers. But from, from a non-quarterback, just uh, maybe two or three guys that have, that have really kind of stood out for you over the years of doing these events as, uh, as guys you earmarked really early early on and said, well, well, this guy's going to be a big-time Sunday player. Yeah, I think we, we look back and, and a couple of safeties that are really impacting the game um, that made a mark through the opening, not just on the field but off the field. Two guys that just jump out for me are Jamal Adams and Derwin James. Um, guys that were, when they were on the field, they're the alpha males. They're the leaders of, of their respective, you know, seven-on-seventeens we put them on and that sort of stuff. But they were also just the Pied Piper of, it might have been 50 guys, it might have been 70 guys. Everybody wanted to be around those dudes. They were the life of the party, but when it was time to work and it was time to learn and it was time to play uh, the sport, they were locked in. So those guys had that. It's a really unique trait and quality. Um, some guys want to be, you know, all fun and, and goofy all the time when they're around a bunch of other kids that age and, and they can't really lock it back in. But those guys had that unique ability to be um, both leaders on and off the field and, and, and guys that everybody else really rallied around. And you can see that. Um, their playmakers, obviously, on the field, they had physical traits that popped, but their leadership qualities um, and their drive to be great and compete, you know, anytime the ball got rolled out there, those two guys were first in line and ready to soak up reps and get better from the coaches like Bucky. So uh, those are two guys that I think we identified early on. And you could, you could just tell um, they came back as college counselors as well, that they were going to be at the front of the line as it relates to, you know, those football talents, but also just that character and, and ability to uh, take every advantage that was put in front of them. You know, Brian, as much as I love talking about the position players, everyone wants to know about the quarterbacks. And you're in a unique position because the three top quarterbacks, um, well, I won't even say three in this class, but we'll we'll talk about the quarterbacks, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Tua. Um, With Joe Burrow and Tua, what did you see from those two guys? Because they'll be in the 2020 draft class. What did you see from those guys early on in the camp scene? uh, And how have you seen their games grow, respectively, as collegians? Sure. Um, Two, I think, you know, some people might be familiar a little bit more with, with his story coming through our events. It, it did get a little bit of attention, especially when he, he popped his first opportunity there in the, in the college football championship game a couple of years back. But um, he was a guy through our process that had, you know, the first time we saw him, you, you could identify right away just his, his arm talent and raw ability was, was really top tier. Um, and, and he was challenged by the staff, Trent in particular, Dilfer, um, our head coach, to really refine his technique and his mechanics and discipline in his drops and things of that nature. When we saw him from the regional coming back to the finals, um, he was not um, a guy that was pre-identified as, as the top passer in the class. He was from Hawaii. Not a lot of people had really seen him, um, did some good things on film and was a multiple year starter. Uh, but as we came through and spent a couple months with him from a regional to a finals and then on up to the opening, uh, he got better every time we saw him and, and, and also was, you know, uh, able to display great leadership qualities. Um, he got in room with kids at the opening, you know, from South Florida and from Mississippi and from Texas and, and was able to gather those guys and, and they all rallied around him. So um, we saw not only his physical talent come out, but also tremendous leadership qualities that, you know, have, have gone on and served him very well in his career at Alabama and, you know, allowed him to uh, bring together another diverse locker room and, and be able to compete at a high level and win championships and, and everything that he's done at Alabama. So um, he, he rose through our process, certainly, and, and ended up being a Elite 11 MVP for his year and um, was, was a, a great talent, I think, by the time he came through his recruiting cycle that, that a lot of people identified that at the end of the year as, 
as potentially the top passer in that class. Um, Joe Burrow, definitely a different story. Um, Joe was a small school kid, I think Division three um, in Ohio. Um, we have a couple undersized guys on our staff, as you know, uh, Bucky with Joey Robertson and Yogi Roth, who uh, when, kind of when you watch tape like that, you say, you know, he might have some talent, but he also plays against some Joey's and Yogi. So uh, you always <laughs> wonder sometimes how that's going to translate. Up. Um, but Joe did a great job in high school. He put up big numbers. He was Mr. Football, committed to Ohio State a little later in the process. But when we saw him at a regional camp, I think some of the physical traits that we might have wondered about watching on tape, they just didn't, they just didn't pop when we saw him, you know, and he wasn't at a regional that was particularly loaded. Um, and I think the other thing, when, when you look back on his evaluation, there were certainly some things that we probably missed in identifying that usually end up being good indicators with a, a multi-sport standout. Um, he coaches son, which, which usually can be a benefit as you guys know. Um, and, and then just, I think he ended up in the right situation, right? Where, he didn't have to play right away. He was able to physically mature. He was a multi-spurt guy, so he wasn't out throwing every day and lifting weights. And um, he also, I think, was able to get a lot better through competition. You know, being in a room with J.T. Barrett, being in a room with Dwayne Haskins and the other guys at Ohio State, and really battling with those guys, pushing those guys as it relates to competing for starting jobs. And it didn't end up working out for him at Ohio State, but he was able to get a lot better and physically mature. And I think he also grew into himself a little bit where some of the, the moxie, you know, and, and, and personality we see now don't remember seeing that a ton, especially in a regional setting where we get to be around guys and, and, and rap with them and talk with them a little bit. So I think from his standpoint, um, he, he got in a good situation. And not every guy is best to play right away, but um, the way it worked out for him and, and ended up now at LSU, I don't think it could have worked out any better for Joe Burrow. I got to ask you one question, Brian, and then uh, this is what I've been dying to ask you. I've been patient because I didn't want to ask it early on. But <laughs> How is Bucky rigging these teams at the seven-on-seven events what every you, year? What you mean? I ask him every year, like, who'd you, ha- who'd you have on your team? Well, I had Jerry Judy. I had Tua. I had – like his team is stacked <laughs> every year. How do you go about setting these teams up, and what is Bucky giving you on the side to get his team so much better than everybody else he has to go up against? That's a great question. Now, uh, I, I do remember one year since he did win it, I think – when guys win it, we will go back to them the next year and be like, hey, was, you know, was there a guy or two you like from the regionals that you might want to get on your team and that sort of stuff? Uh, um, but, yeah, uh, Bucky definitely has some, some talent. And, you know, I think there were some guys he probably really liked working with, and then there's some other guys that were probably, you know. Oh, I've had some challenges. So it's not all, it's not all uh, you know, roses <laughs> and unicorns and that sort of stuff sometimes when, when you get with some of those guys. But, you know, Ryan Clark's another guy that's had a lot of success lately uh, coaching guys at the opening. I think him and Bucky have had some some good battles because uh, Ryan had a good run of winning up there too. But uh, no, there's definitely no favoritism. We love all our coaches, you know, right? <laughs> it's funny. Hey, last thing, uh, Brian, for me, Trevor Lawrence, um, you, we're talking about um, guys who have, have kind of pe- pegged him as kind of like a prodigy being a young quarterback that seems destined to maybe be the number one quarterback in the 2021 class if he elects to come out. What did you see from Trevor Lawrence very, very early in the process? Are you surprised by his success uh, at a collegiate level? No, not not surprised at all. Um, Trevor was a, definitely an outlier in terms of his size and stature and, you know, the, the hair has also always been a <laughs> identifier when I mean, you go to quarterback camps that are full with you know kids that are six feet to six two and you know wearing black shorts and things like that and, and you got this six six kid with long hair uh so he he always physically stood out but he definitely had the game to back it up and you know i, I think is the, the, the thing that's really unique about him outside of the talent is just he seems like he's done everything right like do you ever remember him getting in any social media snafus or you know any issues with teammates or his school and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, he's a testament. He had a, a great coach there at Cartersville High School with him in Georgia. Joey King is now at, at South Florida uh, with Jeff Scott, and, and his parents did a great job with him. So, I mean, the, the talent's been there. Um, he, he, he definitely, as he came through with us at the opening, you know, I would say he, he did have a little bit of struggles at, at the finals, but that was just adjusting with to the speed of the game. Uh, but there was no flinch in him when he did that, and he was up every night working and, you know, texting our coaches at 1230 in the morning about plays that might work and things that you just don't see that often. So the talent was there. Um, his makeup is outstanding. Um, and like I said, he's a guy that he, he just seems to make great choices over and over again. So uh, there's nothing he can't do with the football in his hands. And now you see him adding the, the running element to the game, too, which he didn't have to do a ton in high school. Um, so it, he's, he's a really complete player. And, and I just love his makeup in terms of the choices that he makes both 
you know, on and off the field and how he's kind of handled everything that's come to him at such a young age. That's great stuff, Brian. Last last thing again, just real, I'll give you one more chance here. Like courtside tickets to Carolina basketball, nothing like what? I mean, he's giving you nothing. For all these <laughs> nothing. Seven on nothing. Seven I mean, nothing. and this is the first, you know, podcast appearance too. So, I mean – uh, we I got to work back. Bucky might owe me some stuff, right? It sounds like. Yeah, we got to we got to work. We yeah, got to work on does. that. Yeah, we got to. I, I don't have any, you know, Granada gear. Yeah, UNC. No. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're we're gonna lean on you as wow. we go into this thing to see if we can leverage <laughs> some of that elite eleven quarterback uh, success into some personal Granada. Hill success. <laughs> I like it. So, I like hey, appreciate it, Brian. It's, it's been so great to have you on to give your insight uh, on all these players, particularly the quarterbacks. We definitely will be calling you back because as the draft heats up, we definitely going to want to dig a little deeper into these quarterbacks that are in the draft. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thanks, Brian. Well, Buck, it's great to catch up with Brian. Uh, great insight there on a lot of those players that we've seen come through and, and guys that are still in college right now, including uh, Trevor Lawrence, what to expect for him from him in a big stage, something he's been very comfortable with throughout his career in high school and in college. Uh, but a great resource. I'm sure we'll catch up with him again uh, down the road. We do have some uh, we do have some questions I want to get to in just a minute, Buck, because some people have left us some uh, some good questions there on Apple uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I should say. Um, so we'll get to those just one second. But I do want to promote that top 25 rookie article and video. The article's out. The video's coming out um, where I rank the top 25 rookies from the season i'll tease my list here i'll mm-hmm. tease my list because at, at mine i had bosa nick bosa number one on the list mm-hmm. and i had josh jacobs uh number two on the list so th- those would be my offensive and defensive players here I, I understand jacobs missed some time at the end of the year but he carried that raiders team almost he, on the brink of the postseason so that's why i give him the nod yeah no, no I, I think both of those guys are, are, are worthy of being in the conversation i'm gonna flip the offensive uh rookie of the year, and i'm gonna say aj brown and what A.J. Brown was able to do for the Tennessee Titans, uh, he quickly emerged as a number one receiver. And for him to kind of do it coming out of the second round is very, very reminiscent of what Michael Thomas has been able to do with the New Orleans Saints. Um, I mean, we're talking about a guy who has I – mean, look, we knew he had great hand-eye coordination, terrific hands, but the speed, the explosiveness, the big playability, I don't know if I necessarily saw that when I watched him on tape at Ole Miss. He has been a pleasant surprise for the Tennessee Titans. And then – I think defensively, look, Nick Bosa certainly has been the guy, but I, I, I have to talk about Josh Allen and what Josh Allen has been able to do for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has quietly put together a nice season for the Jaguars. He's been everything that we thought he would be coming out of Kentucky, coming off the edge. We love the versatility, but really the pass rush prowess that he has displayed in Jacksonville. Um, if you think about building a defense, man, he is a what I call a foundational piece to rebuilding that defense. Terrific player who played really really well as a first time starter no doubt um he ended up uh when i looked at my list here going back through it well i won't give it away well you go check out the video you can see the rest of it there uh nabil how about some questions i know some people left us some questions there on apple podcast what do you got fire away our first one if kirk cousins doesn't work out and the vikings draft a qb would jake Fromm be a good fit what do you think buck I just think he's a cheaper version of Kirk Cousins. He'd just be an inexpensive, less experienced version of Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins less has, talented. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's nearly talented. Like he's he's a guy who can play connecting dots. But I think for Jake Fromm, everything around him will have to be right for him to succeed as a pro. Doesn't mean that he can't be a starting quarterback. But I just think you have to understand the challenges that you may have with him as your starting quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins has outplayed his draft status. I think he's been a solid starter. Yes, he has to have certain things around him for him to be right. But we've seen in the right system with the right playmakers, he can play at a high level. This year, to me, was one of his best years in the league in terms of how he played while also operating within a system. Yeah, I don't think Jake Fromm could necessarily give the Vikings what they want if they moved on from Kirk Cousins, which I don't expect them to do. Let me give you a team for Jake Fromm. How about the Atlanta Falcons? Perfect. Um, to get somebody that can learn underneath Matt Ryan. He's obviously the the, the location would be pretty mm-hmm. easy sell. Um, play your games indoors um, in that division. I think I just think his lack of top, top shelf arm strength 
wouldn't be as big of an issue in that division, especially playing all your home games indoors there. I know Minnesota plays indoors as well, but once they go on the road, you're in Chicago, you're in Green Bay, I don't know that that's necessarily a great fit for Jake Fromm. Yeah, because he, he he's a golfer. He needs to play in, in ideal situations so the ball can fly farther. He's, he's kind of like me. Like, DJ, I don't know if, if you never played golf <laughs> with me, but I am a guy that typically plays with the ladies' ball because I need the ball to fly farther. I think Jake Fromm kind of needs those advantages. <laughs> he needs weather and perfect and ideal conditions for him to be able to utilize the entire field. Plus, you have to put weapons around him. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, as you alluded to, Atlanta would be a nice situation. I don't know if he could play in uh, a cold weather environment. Yep. All right, what's the next one, Nabil? Let's go two more. The Packers may have the talent advantage on the Seahawks, but how much of the Pete Carroll versus Matt LaFleur matchup can they exploit? I think that's a big deal. I think experience does matter when you're talking about coaches in the postseason, Buck. And I think Pete Carroll, we mentioned it earlier on in the show about his familiarity with this offense, seeing it a bunch inside the division over the years. Uh, I think that does. I think that is an advantage there uh, for Pete Carroll. Yeah, no, I, I think experience matters and the experience that they don't have from the coaching staff, but also with Russell Wilson. Uh, this is a huge game for the Green Bay Packers because I think this is a game where they have to show that they're better off without Mike McCarthy because now they're in their postseason tournament. Coaching really, really matters. We saw that in the first round of the playoffs in the wildcard round. Coaching, the adjustments, being able to come up with game plans that may be a little different than what you've done throughout the year. This is a huge advantage. And look, I would say the coaching and all of that stuff kind of goes in the Seahawks' favor. So this is a game where Matt LaFleur and even Aaron Rodgers may have to help Matt LaFleur. They have to kind of even up some of those disadvantages. If I'm not mistaken, Buck, to correct me if I'm wrong on this one, I was with Mike Pettin with Baltimore. Mike Pettin with the Jets mm-hmm. at the same time Schottenheimer was with the Jets, right? Wasn't that yep. the OCDC at that, at that, that was the, time with the Jets? So a yeah, lot of familiarity there. Yeah, that was that was the combination. Those were the coordinators doing uh, Rex's time uh, with the Jets. And look, it, it, it will certainly help Mike Pettin understand the mentality of what Brian Schottenheimer wants to do. Some of those things have necessarily have changed uh, going to Seattle with Pete Carroll kind of insisting on the game being played a certain way. But yeah, Mike Pettin's familiarity with that offense and maybe Schottenheimer's familiarity with Pettin's defense, it should be a little chess match to watch. A chess match to watch. So we'll see how it, plays, how it plays out. All right, one more, Nabil. What do you got? Why would or will the Lions pass on Tua? Go ahead, Buck. You know, like this this is a, a, a tricky one for me, and, and it'll be tough until we get the evaluation. There are a couple of things that are at play that the Detroit Lions have to consider. One, they have to understand what the long-term prognosis of Matthew Stafford's back injury is. What does that look like? How much uh, pain is he going to be willing to endure as he gets older? What is the... Um, chances what are the chances of that injury reoccurring then when it comes to Tua is okay how significant is this injury what are the percentages of a recurrence uh can we trust that he's going to be healthy when throughout his collegiate career he's had to deal with a number of injuries uh this is a really really tough one for the Detroit Lions and I think it won't be decided uh until they get a little deeper in the process after the draft after workouts till they really can determine who Tui is and where he can be uh, when we get to the regular season in terms of just his health and his availability. Well, I think Tua would give you financial flexibility uh, for the next five years. That would be one thing that would that would make sense there. Um, Matthew Stafford could fetch you tremendous, tremendous amount in a trade. 31 years old. I know he's had the injury buck, but man, if healthy, uh, if you get him healthy, you're talking about another six premier years you could get at the position. Uh, and that is a hefty price you would have to pay for somebody like Matthew Stafford. So, uh, again, we talked about it on the podcast uh, this week, earlier this week, about that decision that they'll have to make. And I think even if they aren't interested in, in uh, selecting Tua, I think you at least put off that you would consider it. Uh, put that out there, I should say, that you would consider it because it's just going to continue to drive up the price for that pick uh, for those teams picking five, six, and seven that could potentially come up uh, to take him. So uh, I'll be interested to see what the Lions do uh, as we get towards April. Anything else you want to add here, Buck, before we get out of here? No, nah, man, this is a loaded uh, loaded podcast. A lot of good information, a lot of great discussion. Really loved having Brian Stumpf on to, to uh, 
Talk about the quarterbacks. I think anytime we get a chance to gain more insight on these quarterbacks that are coming down the pipeline, guys that are going to be in the draft, guys that are going to play on the big stage on Monday night, uh, I think it's always fascinating. Yeah, we do appreciate him taking some time uh, to join us. Thanks again, though, for the questions on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question for us, leave us a review, give us a little rating there, and uh, and drop a question. We'll answer it. Uh, we'll try and one week, one day a week, we try and knock out some of these questions. So appreciate that feedback. That's going to do it for us today. I want to thank Nabil for all his hard work putting this show together. Uh, we're out of here. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.